morning, everybody. I want to welcome everybody out today. We are happy that you are here. Uh, we've had a men's retreat this weekend. Those are some of the men that have been there. Had a good time. Those you didn't hear did not have a good time. No, just... Guys, I was there. I just want to tell you the three lessons that I heard. I wasn't there for last night's devotional, but devotional I heard Friday night by Mike Denius. The uh, lesson that Alan had yesterday and the lesson that Brian and, and Richard had after that was just fabulous. I mean, they were just very good, spot-on, practical, motivational lessons for followers of Jesus. The theme of the, of the weekend was act like a man. And a few of them did that. Some of them acted like boys. But we had a good time. And uh, anyway, we are in the middle of a series called This Is Us. And what do we mean by this is us? It's to describe, to get, get a little bit of better picture of what the Bible says the church is supposed to be like. Greater Alton's been through, we've been in existence since the end of 1987. And during that time, we've went through many phases, many transitions, uh, whatever you want to call it. I like to call it maturity. You know, that we went from a group of young people to a group of older people, and during that time we've matured, and along the way we've made mistakes. And every now and then it's good to get called back to what the Bible says we should actually be like. And that's what the purpose of this series is, is all about. Tim started it, uh, I guess about six weeks ago, because this is number seven. And uh, in, in his third lesson, he talked about there being five core values of the teachings of Jesus uh, that, G- that the teachings of Jesus promote. And the first one Alan talked about for two weeks, and it's worship. And I really recommend, if you haven't heard us, to go back and listen to him. Um, I thought the first one was better than the second one, just personally. <laughs> so I'm right. <laughs> but, but guys, what he said is worship is what I'm doing when I elevate someone or something to such a position of preeminence in my life that I will make sacrifices to it or for it out of love and or fear. And guys, that is exactly defines what our worship of God should be like. That he should be elevated to such a position of preeminence in our life that we are willing to make sacrifices for him. And he did a wonderful job of illustrating that, you know, uh, we worship a lot of things. You know, it's not, not just God. And the challenge is to worship God first and to let him influence everything else. Okay, it's my worship of God that has taught me to let go of my worship of other things. Okay, and that, that may be, don't know what that can be for you. I, I, for one point, bow hunting. I'm about to go bow hunting for a week, by the way. And, uh, but I used to elevate to such a position, by this time of year, I would have been out 20 times already. And that's what I was thinking. I would look at the weather every day to see what it's going to be like in the future. And what, what my schedule, when can I get out there? I've let go of that because I've learned that that was I was elevating it to too high of a prominent preeminence in my life. And guys, that can, we can do that with our jobs. We can do that with our marriage. We can do that with our children. We can do that with several things. And so, guys, I encourage you to go back and listen to those if you didn't get to, or maybe even if you did, to look look through it. Um, I've been talking starting last week and this week on the second trait that Jesus, the value that Jesus' teachings promote, and that's on membership. And we talked about it last week, that first note in your notes there, it says, it's a note, it says, I did not join the church. You don't join the church. Jesus adds you to the church, okay? Though you've made a decision that that allows him to do that, and we talked about how do you, how, what's, what's a member of the church, what's it mean then? We talked about three things, number one, You've accepted and submitted to Jesus as king. We talked about that rather in depth. Then we went on to talk about you accept the need for and responsibility to other members. 
And we're going to dig down on that a little bit more this week. And the third thing uh, that's characteristic of a member of the church is I share my faith. That the king wants us to let others know about what he's done. Wants us to be inviting others to be citizens of his kingdom. And we, uh, that's what we talked about. Today, I'm going to be taking it a little farther. If you look at your notes, it says member in good standing, question mark. If you would like the notes, if you go to greateraltonchurch.org, go under sermons. That's one at the top of the list. Click PDF and you have the notes on your phone. And uh, you can do that. And so there you go. Uh, but anyway, I entitled the lesson, Member in Good Standing, question mark. And got the little emoji of the guy going, hmm. Which is my favorite emoji, by the way. And... Guys, because that's just the truth of the matter. A lot of churches will use that phrase, member in good standing. I told about, we went to a church uh, when we were out of town a few weeks ago. And that was one of their requirements for, for, for one of their potential requirements for taking communion is you needed to be a member in good standing of their particular denomination. If you were a member in good standing, you got to take communion. After that, if you were not a member of that particular denomination, they needed to, I suppose, question you. As I said, I didn't go through the process. My wife and I didn't go through the process because I didn't want to make them, or I didn't want to put them in a position to have to tell me no. <laughs> but guys, member in good standing, it, it, the concept is real. We need to be evaluating ourselves. Am I a member in good standing of the Lord's church? Of the church. Okay. What does the Bible say about what a member in good standing looks like? And today most of my notes are going to be from Colossians chapter 1. And you don't have them. But that's okay. They'll be on the screen. Um, but I wanted to talk about this a little bit. Before we get into it. Uh, one, I want to use an illustration here. My wife and I. Most of you guys know this. When you, whenever you go to watch a movie. I'm going to guess in a married couple, there's certain types of movies that the husband likes and certain type of movies that the wife likes, correct? That's the way it is. I like science fiction. Susan, not so much. But what I can get her on every time if there's a movie that I like, and sometimes I'll just say this just to see if I can get her to go, but if it's based on a true story, okay? And I like those type of movies also. She doesn't believe me if I tell her a science fiction movie is based on a true story. But based on a true story. Guys, if you see a movie based on a true story, and they'll, they'll throw it all over, I'm going to beg you to do one thing before you get too excited after seeing that movie. And that is, go to Google and find out the real story. You see, because it's based on a true story. They take a basic story and then they take what they call liberties. They decide, we're going to emphasize this right here. You know, it may have been a small thing in the true story. It may have not actually been in the, tr in the real story. And so you've got to go back and, and look at it and dig down on it. The first time I did this... Um, I was, was a movie back in, back in the early 2000s called A Beautiful Mind. Are y'all familiar with this? Russell Crowe, Jennifer Connelly. I believe Jennifer Connelly won a Best Supporting Actress Oscar for her role in this. And it's a fascinating story. It's about a man by the name of John Nash who was a mathematician. You know they had to take some liberties if they made a mathematician look interesting, didn't they? Okay? And to make matters worse, or more challenging, he's a mathematician who struggled with schizophrenia. Who was dominated by that. At one point in his life, was homeless due to his schizophrenia. He went on later, though, however, to recover from schizophrenia without medication. And to win the Nobel Prize in economics. It's a fascinating story. But it's, as I said... Based on a true story. Okay? There are differences. In the movie, if you'll remember, and I'm sorry if you haven't seen it, I'm, I'll be a spoiler for you. 
He is going to see people. There are characters in the movie that he interacts with that you find out later on aren't real, aren't there. Nobody else sees them, only him. You know, sounds like schizophrenia, correct? That didn't happen in the real story. He didn't see people. He only heard voices. Now, these voices were from aliens. And the reason I know this is because this was back before I knew how to Google everything. I bought the book, A Beautiful Mind. In fact, this is the very first item that I ever purchased on Amazon. Kind of a memorabilia, heirloom, isn't it? My daughter-in-law asked if I could borrow it, and I told her that. And she goes, oh, I'll make sure I get it back. Um, but guys, it's fascinating. Let me read you a few quotes here, a few line items about his um, schizophrenia and, and the way it resulted. Like I said, he heard voices of aliens, and specifically aliens telling them him that they were coming to this planet to set up a one-world government. Okay, there would be no more of these nations It would be one government ruling the world. And it says, uh, he was convinced, he was convinced, it convinced him that threats to world peace and calls for a world government. He seemed to be confiding in the two young men, hinting that he had been asked to play some extraordinary role. At one point in time, he goes on and he writes letters to the different embassies of different countries in Washington, D.C. And wanting to meet with the ambassadors and later with the, with the, with the heads of these, these states. And at one point, my favorite story about it is when he, he was offered a very prestigious position at the University of Chicago. And he politely turned it down because he was soon to be appointed as the emperor of Antarctica. Okay? Now, you you get the picture. He was convinced that there was aliens coming to this world to set up a government that would supersede all other governments, and they wanted him to prepare the way for this. And that's what he was doing by talking to these other students and other faculty members. He was on staff at Princeton. He, uh, and he would, he did things, you find out also in the book that he did things like he would, he would be in Europe and he'd go to the U.S. Embassy and try to relinquish his passport and to be declared a citizen of the world. Okay, he was trying to denounce his U.S. citizenship. And this is what, this is, this is what was going on. And guys, that's, that's wacko, ain't it? That's loony. He later realized it's, Again, fascinating story. You can find some of these interviews on YouTube where he said he used logic. He basically used reason to go, those thoughts, those voices I hear cannot be real. And he said he chose not to indulge them. You see, guys, I, I tell that story because I think the true story of John Nash is a good illustration of what our citizenship in the kingdom of God should be like. You see, there's two passages here, one in Ephesians chapter 2, the other in Philippians 3. We'll read them right here, real quick right here. And this is what it says. It says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. It calls us citizens and members of God's household. It goes on in Ephesians chapter 3, and this is what he says. He says, For I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is their destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. You see, guys, he's very plain 
where he says, we're not supposed to be of this world. We're not supposed to have a value system that's based on this earth. We should be different. Because our citizenship is in heaven. And much like John Nash falsely believed (laughs) that he was a citizen of this world that the aliens were going to set up, we truly are citizens of the kingdom of God. When you pledged your allegiance to Jesus and submitted to Him in baptism, you became a citizen of that kingdom where He is king and we are to promote His values and His ideals. Now, don't take it too far. I'm not going to say you need to go writing letters to ambassadors. All right? Citizenship in the kingdom isn't about acting in some big, grand way. It's acting in our everyday lives. It's how we live our everyday life. Guys, I just referenced this. One of the things, you know, that that goes, that illustrates this very well is is that Jesus told him when the, the apostles asked Jesus how they should pray, teach us to pray. And one of the key statements that he told them to pray is that we need to pray for God's kingdom to come here on earth the way it is in heaven. And you see, guys, that's what it is. We have the opportunity now as members, as citizens of this kingdom to, to show people what citizenship in this kingdom has looked like. We're to live by those standards. You see, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul talking to the Corinthians, he said he set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. You see, guys, the kingdom of God, sometimes referred to, it's, it's now and not yet. It's now and not yet. The Holy Spirit living in our lives gives us the opportunity to live as if the kingdom is here now. But it's not here in its completion or its fullness yet. But we are called as followers of the king to represent the king. And to live as citizens as if it is here right now. And that's really what we want to discuss today. And so we're going to talk about five things. And it says, I'm I'm living as a citizen of heaven when I, number one, have a growing faith. Guys, you don't follow Jesus unless you believe that He is real, that He exists, that He died for you, that He rose from the dead. Faith is when you believe something so strongly that you don't have the video evidence for that you change the way you live. You act on it. You take action. And that's what you did. When you accepted Jesus as your King, as your Lord, as your Savior... You said, I believe it, and I'm going to pledge my allegiance to you. But it doesn't end there. It did not end there, nor should it end there. We need to have a growing faith. Look here in Colossians chapter 1. This is what it says. It says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. Now guys, you need to understand, when Paul is writing to this this church church at Colossae, these Colossians, he's never met them. That's what he's saying here. I've only heard about your faith. And he's heard of other people's faith as well. The church at Laodicea, he mentions. Um, And that's what he's talking about is their faith. Now, we're going to learn as we go on, his whole point in writing to them and praying for them is to build their faith up. He doesn't say, you've made it. I've heard about your faith. Now just put it on cruise control and make it to the end. Because that's not how faith in Jesus work. That's not how citizenship in the kingdom works. God expects us to have a growing faith. It's not in second Peter chapter one, and I'm going to read part of this in a minute, but Peter tells the Christians to make every effort to add to your faith, 
goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. And he goes on to say that if you possess these in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, my faith is to be growing. Paul is talking to these Christians. He's praying for these Christians because he realizes this. He wants to see their faith increased. Now the question is, how does my faith increase? Well, that leads us to our second point here on how I live as a citizen of heaven is I live as a citizen of heaven when I am increasing my knowledge of Jesus. This is what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. He says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all of the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Then in 2 Peter chapter 1, as I've already quoted this part of this, It says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Guys, I am challenged with this right now. Okay? Because there is an influence in this world that uh, at least in this country, that I have been under for decades. And you have too. And what it is, it's is this concept of retirement. Y'all heard about it? You heard about this? You work for so many years, and then what happens? You stop working, and then what do you do? And what do you do when you retire? Whatever you want. Right? Some people can afford to travel. They travel. Some people can afford to, you know, move to another city to be with their kids and their grandkids. They do that. Some people actually get different jobs. Because that's what they want to do. Okay? And the, the, the whole idea is what happens when you retire and you don't have to go to this job in order to provide food and shelter for yourself and your family, then you are free to do whatever you want. And you see, guys, I say I'm under the influence of that because I'm on the verge, I'm somewhere, I've told people, I've I've been semi-retired for several years. And all I mean by that is by being self-employed, I have extreme flexibility with my schedule. You know, if we need to visit somebody in the hospital, we visit somebody in the hospital. If my wife needs me to pick up something that she's bought on Marketplace, I get to do it. You name it, it goes on and on and on where I have extreme flexibility with that. Okay? And it means I want to kick back. And you see, that that freedom from responsibility of work flows over and wants to engulf my every life. And I want to be free of responsibilities in my relationship with Jesus and my relationship with the church. I want a lightening of the load. I want Jesus to expect less of me in retirement than He does or did before. Can anybody give me a verse for that? (laughs) There's not a verse for that, is there? It doesn't exist. And guys, when it comes to increasing my faith, it just never stops. Best example I can have of this, you know, we, uh, several years ago, I developed, I was in auto glass. I owned my own business. Um, but it was, business had declined and it was just me putting in auto glass for several years. My wife answering the phone. Uh, we didn't have any other employees really. Um, I'm out there doing it and I get a very severe case of heat exhaustion and I develop a growing 
intolerance to direct sunlight and heat, which is very bad when you have to put in auto glass, okay? Because everything's mobile, you're on parking lots. It's very, very horrible. And I, in faith, said, God, I need something else to do. God, I trust you. I will keep putting in auto glass till, till, till as long as you want me to, uh, until I can't anymore, and I'm going to trust you to provide. Because that's what God has said. When you trust him, he will provide. He will. And he very graciously has led us out of the auto glass business. He's provided a door for us to get into owning car washes. And it's been very good for us. And it's been good to the point where um, I, we could sell the place out and we could right off into this picture of retirement that I just gave you. But you see, I'm concerned with being faithful. One of these things that's happened, you guys have heard me talk about this, that I'm concerned with being a good and faithful servant. And according to Matthew 25, what that means is I use the resources that have been trusted to me by our king to represent him and to do his work as best I know how. Okay? And the doors have opened up. What's, what's that mean? Well, instead of me selling out, I have provided income and jobs for other people. Okay? And this is continuing on. I believe that that's what's faithful for me in this situation. Okay? It'd be much easier. It'd be much more liberating. It'd be much more of a true retirement to just sell out. But I don't believe that that's what God wants me to do. And guess what? It's not easy to keep going on with these things. It's a challenge. It challenges my skill set. It calls me to do things that I wasn't trained to do, that I never developed the skill for. And I believe God wants me to do these things. He wants me to increase my faith. Well, Gary, where did you get all that, you know? That comes from looking at God's Word, guys. Notice how I just did it. I talked about Matthew 25. Jesus defined what a good and faithful servant looks like, understanding how that applies to me in my situation. I've read the Bible for years. I know the general storyline. But guess what? I don't know everything. And He wants me to do more. And so the question is, you may be asking, well, let me put it this way. I want you to ask the question. What am I doing to increase my knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? I want you to ask yourself that question. What am I doing to increase the knowledge? And guys, I I want to encourage you. My wife is doing something that's really pretty neat. We live in a very wonderful time where understanding the Bible and access to the Bible and access to uh, different teachings and different reading plans is available. You know, you, you heard the read. How many have tr- tried to read the Bible through in a year and didn't make it? Nobody wants to admit it. Okay. My hand's up. Guys, what she's doing is she tried this with, with a, two other ladies, three other ladies? Two other ladies. Our daughter-in-law and our daughter-in-law's mother. And there's a reading program. Which app is it on? version. It's version, And they have a reading plan to read through the Bible in a year. And they read it to you. And so you can listen to the Bible. That's the same thing, guys, as reading. And you go through it every day, and, and you have Dr. Tim Mackey give explanation of background. Very educational, very simple. They have a little, I believe, group chat within the, within the, within the app, at least where you can make a comment on this is what I read, this is, this is what I, this is how I was moved, this is what I understand. And guys, there are, there are things like that all over the place. Go to YouTube. No, forget YouTube. You can go there for this, but go to the Bible, download the Bible Project app. Wonderful. 
But don't just stop with watching those videos, because if you go to the, on their app, they'll list all the scriptures they referenced. So you can check out if what they said is true or not. You're not they're not just asking you to take your word for it. But if you're sitting here right now and you, you, you ask yourself the question, what am I doing to increase my knowledge, and nothing comes up, guys, there's wonderful opportunities out there. And I encourage you, well, nobody's asking me to do one like Susan asked Sarah and her mom to do that. Maybe you need to be the one to ask somebody else to do it. Maybe you need to get that together. Guys, one of the, the biggest growing times in my life, I don't, I don't remember what year it was, it was back before 2010, and I made a... A pact with a friend of mine, his name was Jason Law, and we just agreed to get up each morning and call each other just to make sure we were up. Okay? And for literally two weeks, that's all I did was develop the habit of getting up and sitting at the desk. I read nothing that I remembered. I didn't understand, nothing happened but to me developing that habit. But after I developed that habit, guess what? Then I started having some time in God's Word. Then I started reading and applying. Then I started growing. I can't thank Jason enough for doing that for me. And all we did, because we'd done this before in the past, with different, with, I'd, done, I'd done it in the past with other men, and usually what we ended up doing is we'd call each other and we'd just start talking. <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden our time was up that we should have been reading God's, reading the Bible. But guys, I encourage you to do that. Find somebody to do it with. Number three, I'm living as a citizen of heaven when I live a life worthy of Jesus. Guys, this is the standard that we are called to. We are called to be representatives of Jesus. We are called to become like Jesus in ever-increasing ways. And you want to know what your purpose is? It's very simple. You're to be like Jesus in any and every circumstance you find yourself. That is what it is. Look at this passage here. You see, Paul just, he was just telling the Colossians, he was praying for them to increase their knowledge. Why was he doing that? It wasn't so they could pass a written test. Here's what it was for. He says, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit... In every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. Guys, I'm not encouraging you to read your Bibles and to gain knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ just so you can have knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The purpose of that is so that you can live a life that's worthy of Him. You see, guys, most of us don't want to do that. I don't. Can I tell you? I just don't want to do that. I want to be a good guy that goes to heaven. Fair? I want to be a good guy that helps other people go to heaven. This living a life worthy of Jesus is extremely high standard. And guys, that is what we're called to. God is concerned with how I live. You know, a lot of people have a problem. I did a lesson series here earlier this year on judging. And judging is a real issue. Jesus told us, that we need to judge, but we need to be very careful how we judge. And one of the things I don't think I got into very much in that lesson series was how do we judge ourselves? Okay? I don't know. How do you judge yourself? What's your standard? Is it really what pleases the Lord? See, guys, I get questions all the time from people about situations, specifically with work and with business, from other believers. And the question isn't what's legal. The question isn't even what's right. The question is, what pleases Jesus? And I can tell you right now, what pleases Jesus is acting the way He acts. Enduring what He did. 
I want to encourage you to make two lists. I dare you. I dare you to make two lists. Take a look at your life and make one list. These are things I do. These are how I act that pleases the Lord. Okay? This is what pleases the Lord. Anybody want to guess what the second list is? What doesn't please the Lord? That's why I'm daring you and encouraging you to make the list. And guys, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty. I'm not trying to condemn anybody. That's not it at all. I just think we need to be aware. If we're going to do what pleases the Lord, we need to recognize when we're not pleasing the Lord. Later on in the book of Colossians, in Paul's letter to the Colossians, he gets a little more specific about this. And uh, literally, he's calling them to judge themselves. And he's giving them a standard here in chapter 3, in verse, beginning in verse 12. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I was talking to Mike Dennis. I told you I really enjoyed his lesson Friday night, his devotional Friday night. And he says, those last two points were hard to get through. And he says, he was talking about being kind and being humble. And he's, he, was, he was acknowledging those were hard for him to get through because those are not two character traits, especially as men, that we choose to embrace. That we choose to to grab a hold of. We only want to be kind when we have to. We don't want to be something that engulfs everything we do. That's I'm just speaking honestly here as a man. I don't speak for every man, but I think a lot relate to it. Uh, kind Gentleness. Goes on. Verse 13, he says, Bear with each other and forgive each other. If any one of you has a grievance against someone... Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Guys, I want to bring your attention to something there in that passage that we just read. And I want to... I wanna, I want to bring up the context. You know, he's talking about different character traits that we should have. And if you look closely at that, I encourage you to go back and look at it on your own later on because I know they don't have the whole thing up there. But the context of which he is talking about all these character traits being displayed and exercised is within the church. Okay? This is the first place where kindness and compassion and gentleness and forgiveness should be on display. You see, guys, because these are all characteristics of the citizens of God's kingdom. And if we expect others to come into the kingdom, we want to invite others into the kingdom, we need to be putting on display, dare I say, the benefits of being in the kingdom. You see guys, what, what, what would you rather be a part of a group that is critical and hates on each other or a part of a group who loves and forgives each other? Which would you rather be a part of? And you see <laughs> Thank you, Frank. <laughs> that is the right answer by the way. <laughs> Guys, I want to ask yourself, how am I displaying these things in the church? See, guys, this is the first place to look. If we are not forgiving each other, but are forgiving people outside the church, we're not pleasing the Lord. If we're showing gentleness and compassion and patience with people at work, because that benefits us and makes life go smoothly there, and we don't show that same kindness, compassion, and kindness in our homes, in our marriages, in the church, we're not 
pleasing the Lord. Here's the next question. Ask yourself, have I clothed myself with these character traits? Or have I simply done them a few times? You know, yeah, I was patience once. You know, my wife was slow bringing me dinner and I was patient. I didn't say a word. He's saying we should be known as patient people. We should be known as. My next question is, is it your goal to clothe yourself with these things? See, this is, this is challenging to me. This is what Mike and I were talking about. Men do not make it their goal to be kind. That does not come natural. Compassion. Gentleness. I just want to be seen as gentle, being a gentle person. See, guys, I want to do them a few times. I want to do them when necessary. This clothing myself with is a challenge. And guys, one last question. I know I've got a lot of questions here on this one where I usually try to keep it down. But I'm going to ask you right now. Don't look around. But is there a relationship right now in the church that is calling me to display one or more of these character traits? You see, guys, I was talking this morning about uh, with my wife about a situation, that, the relationship that I'm in. And I am... Um, challenged how do i act like jesus how do i represent jesus well in the situation and she reminds me of verses that i spoke to you last week and she was right and i agreed okay see guys this is where it's tested the most Yes, this is where it's tested the most. Fourth thing, if I'm living as a citizen of the kingdom of God, I refuse to give up. Here in Colossians chapter 1, he goes on, he says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience. Why do you think Paul sees endurance and patience as so important? You see, back to what I said, I just want to do something once and then have it on straight. I don't want to have to endure character change over time. And by God, after I learn it and it becomes a part of my character, I don't want it to be tested. You know, I can't tell you how many people have paid for patience. Right? So you pray for patience. And we all know this. How does God give you patience? He don't zap you, okay? He allows you to be in situations that test your patience, that allow you to exercise patience. And once you've grown and you declare, I have patience, you know what happens then? He ups the ante. All of a sudden, then you find in situations that really challenge your patience. And he may even ask you to put yourself to choose to be in a situation that challenges your patience. Guys, I've heard two situations in the last week of young folks in this church either considering or moving towards being foster parents. In both situations, it's kind of like, Why? Because all of a sudden, Bill Cosby used to say, you're not a real parent until you have two kids. Is that right? You know? Because you know, you come home from work and the lamp's broke and you ask your wife, did you break the lamp? Nope. You go in and take care of it with the kid. You come home, there's two kids. Mom didn't break the lamp. You don't know who did it. And you got to figure it out. And everybody knows, we had three kids in, in less than four years. Couples choosing to take on foster children, and one of them was, a, was, was multiple foster children. Guys, very challenging. 
you are asking for patience. They are choosing to go into a situation that I guarantee will call them to greater levels of godliness. Let's look at this passage in Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus is telling a story. Most of you know are familiar with it. It's called the parable of the soils is what it's referred to a lot of times. And he describes each, each of us, our hearts and our receptiveness to the word of God. He describes as different types of soil. He described a path, which is a hard soil, and the God's word don't grow. He described a shallow soil or rocky soil where it sprouts and then it loses. We, 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 it quickly falls away is the way he says it. It's a person who believes and is all excited, but when hard times come, it doesn't work. He talks thorny soil where the word of God is choked out by the worries of this life and the desire for other things, the deceitfulness of wealth. And then he describes the good soil. And here in verse 15, this is what he says, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. You see guys, the difference between thorny soil and good soil is thorny soil does not produce a crop. There's no fruit. They don't quit believing in Jesus. They just allow the Word of God to not have any effect in their life because they're so distracted with everything else going on in this world. And the big difference, the way I see it anyway, between good soil and thorny soil is perseverance. Because I believe almost every believer struggles with thorns. We've got to pull the thorns out of our life. Well, there are the desires of this world that entice us, that every one of us has some desire of this world that interests us. And we have to make a choice on whether or not we're going to pull that thorn. But guess what? There's more thorns coming. And persevering, continuing to pull thorns, continuing to look at the Word of God, continuing to retain it is necessary. One last verse and then we'll go on. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 36 it says, You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Guys, my whole point is citizens within the kingdom, they persevere, they do not quit, they keep going, and they keep asking for more. Fifth thing is that I constantly encourage others. You see, guys, there's a reason why we're in this collectively. There's a reason why last week we looked at that I need to recognize and accept my need for and responsibility to other brothers and sisters in the kingdom. We need each other. Colossians 2, this is what he says. He says, my goal is that you may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's saying, my goal is for them to be encouraged. And guys, that needs to be our goal as well. Hebrews chapter 3, very familiar passage to most of us. It says, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sinful deceitful, sin's deceitfulness. Guys, there's multiple ways we can encourage. Obviously, the first one you're probably going to think of is I encourage with my words. What I have to say. But it's more than just, here, this is what I think you should do. Here, don't give up. I believe one of the biggest ways you can encourage others is by sharing your struggle. And your victories. We need to see where each other is challenged. Okay? I will gladly share with you my struggles so you can see me continuing on. And I hope that's encouraging. Second way is with my life. Okay? 
we need to be able to look at each other and say, look at their patience. Look at their love. Look at their compassion. Look at their faith. Look at their generosity. And be encouraged. Third way is with my prayers. Guys, we can pray for someone and we can pray with someone. I believe praying with them is a much more personal way. And I believe it's a real growth area for theirs. Guys, I want to I I give you a statement. You know, when you consider those different ways that we can be encouraging through our words, through our life, and through our prayers, I want you to consider a statement I'm going to make. I put this out there as a, as a mic drop statement. And just let it go, but I don't want it to do that. I don't want it. I want, I'm going to ask you to consider this. Okay? I want you to consider if I am not encouraging then I am discouraging. Does that mean? It means if you cannot, if you are not active in encouraging other brothers and sisters, there's a very real possibility you are discouraging. Because if they don't see and hear about your faith moving forward, They're not encouraged to continue on in their faith. And guys, that's what we are to be, is a group of individuals who is increasing our faith and is moving forward. And it's very encouraging to see somebody else doing that. I so appreciate Mike, Denius, when he was sharing with me, those last two are hard for me, from his devotions, two points of it is devotional. I so appreciated Brian Alford. He did a wonderful job of talking about his faith going from what he referred to as second-person faith, meaning his faith was led by and influenced greatly in a very positive way by somebody else. But he can remember the point in time when he went from having second-person faith to first-person faith. So encouraging to see somebody recognize it and 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 to make that and to share it with others and he was calling people to say listen we all start here with second person faith this isn't a biblical term this is just his way of illustrating it okay he says i got my second person faith from somebody who had first person faith and then he eventually got first person faith on his own Guys, we need to hear these stories. We need to share them. Share your challenges. Share your struggles. Share your victories. Let other people see them. You decide if you're bragging or not. Okay? Not promoting bragging. But that's a motive of the heart. Why you do it. In closing out today, it's my desire... And I believe it's Tim and Allen's as well. We want to see the Greater Alton Church be a church where every member lives as citizens of heaven. We're not looking for just more people in the seat. We're not looking for more money in the offering plate. We're looking to have a church where everybody is actively living as citizens of the kingdom wherever they are and is growing in that. And guys, this only happens as each of us as individuals evaluate how we're doing living as a citizen and then making the appropriate decisions and taking the appropriate actions to move forward and to grow as citizens. How are you doing? How are you doing? You see, I believe this lesson is set up in such a way that everybody should be able to look at at least one area and say, I need to do something about that. I need to increase my faith. I need to get in the Bible more. I need to include somebody else with it. Maybe it's encouraging. I need to open my mouth more. Maybe it's I'm living a life worthy of Jesus. I need to have more compassion. I need to forgive somebody. I need to show more acceptance to somebody in the church. That's the way it's set up. This lesson is. So as we're closing out, I'm going to ask you what area or areas do you need to give attention to? Okay, I hope you've identified that. And I'm asking you to right now, plug it into your head.
You don't need to write it on the communication card, though there's nothing wrong with that. That's a great way to do it. Identify what areas. But then also, guys, what are you going to do to begin the process? What are you going to do? If you say, I need to be in the Bible more, I need to read God's Word more, I I need to find a reading plan, are you going to find a reading plan? Will you commit yourself to doing that? Will you commit yourself to encouraging somebody else? Will you commit yourself to at least choosing, I want to live a life worthy of Jesus? That's what we got. I'm going to pray. The team's going to come up and sing. We'll pass the baskets if you want to fill out a communication card. If you're visiting with us, we're not here for your money. Uh, There you go. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you've done. Father, I thank you that you have invited us into your kingdom. Father, I, I thank you that you have established your kingdom. And that, Father, you have made it an attractive place. And that you've made it so clear what you expect of us as your citizens. Father, I pray right now as we close this out that the Greater Alton Church truly grows as each person chooses to take the steps they need to take individually. Father, it was challenging for me to think about if I'm not encouraging, I'm discouraging. Father, to ask myself, how active am I being at looking to encourage? Father, I pray that you open our eyes to see what we each need to see individually. Father, I pray that we can see the benefits that you've already provided for us through Jesus. And that we can move forward as you want us to. It's in Jesus that we pray. Amen. Turn my heart